The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom, both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. It was a great pleasure to be with uh, your leaders yesterday morning and spend some time working through the deeper issues that churches, and especially in leaders, need to tackle head-on as we think about bringing real prevention of all forms of abuse. We talked mostly about children yesterday, but all forms of abuse uh, into our churches and into Christian homes. Uh, as Ben said, I work for an organization called GRACE. GRACE is an acronym that stands for Godly Response to Abuse in the Christian Environment. And since 2004, we have, as an organization, trained hundreds of churches and helped consult with churches and other ministries on best practices in terms of uh, prevention policies and training and all sorts of things like that. And I am the director of our Safeguarding Certification Program, which is uh, one of the main, uh, one half of our, our work, which is more the prevention uh, training side of things. And in this program, uh, we have, even early in our work, I'll just say it this way, in, early in our work, we did a lot of in-depth training and policy work with churches, and yet we still failed to see often a longer-term culture change and impact coming out of that. And so we realize that still more work is needed to see lasting culture change and culture shaped within a church in such a way that the policies we have, the training we have, are actually effective. And we're giving you, as congregants, the tools you need to understand why we have certain policies in place, understand issues related to abuse, and to be able to play your role well. And so that is the deeper work we do in our certification program. And we train churches and ministries all across the country. We've even worked internationally. And so we're very thankful uh, anytime we're invited in. And I do love the local church. Uh, I'm a son of the local church. And I'll tell you more about that in a moment. I want to acknowledge that abuse is a difficult topic. And I know for some of you, this is a very personal matter for you. And some of you who have survived different forms of abuse as children or even as an adult, I want to acknowledge that and say, I'm so sorry uh, that you do not deserve ever to be treated that way. And so I hope you find comfort this morning as we talk about a God who tells us that he is a God who is for the abused and the oppressed. And he is a God who is always responsive, hearing and responding to the cry of those who are hurting. This is a difficult topic, and for everyone else, even if this is not your experience uh, and abuse has not impacted you in, a very, in that personal way, I want to acknowledge that this is uncomfortable. This is not a normal Sunday at church for many of us. And here's an encouragement for you, though. What I want to ask you is that if I am speaking this morning and you are confronted with something that challenges a belief you hold currently, challenges an assumption you have, I want you to not, try not to dismiss that discomfort. And I want us all, and this is what I think we have to do in churches, we have to get over our own discomfort if we're going to actually make progress in preventing abuse and helping and care, caring for those who have survived abuse. And so 
I wanna say, when you feel that discomfort, we're gonna want to turn away from it because it hurts. There's a cost to that. And the only way forward is if we are willing to actually face up to that pain and sit in that pain and pay that cost. And that pain, honestly, is, is worth it. It's actually what I do is I remind myself, as hard as the work I do is, that's nothing compared to someone who's trapped in an abusive situation. And we have to remember that always. So it's worth it to do that. And that's a very Christ-like thing to do, to bear pain for the sake of others. So I wanna acknowledge that. And I wanna encourage us to be humble before this topic. My story is, I shared it with your leaders, but I'm gonna share it with you as well. My story is that I grew up in the conservative church, a Bible-believing church, and we never talked about abuse. We just didn't talk about it. It was never something we acknowledged. We didn't know and have the tools we needed. Now, beyond that, when I went into seminary and then into local church ministry, even in seminary, I wasn't given the tools I needed to lead in a church and understand abuse, what it is, how prevalent it is, and what we can do to prevent it and respond when it does happen. So, one question that has rocked me to my core as a pastor is, the faith that I grew up in, the faith that I trained for ministry in, and the faith that I entered ministry into, if that faith doesn't speak to abuse, if it doesn't acknowledge the cry of those who are abused, this is the question that's rocked me to my core. What good is that faith? What good is that faith? That's a struggle I've wrestled with deeply. And yet, I do remain full of hope, as Ben said. Because when I go to the scriptures, and when I look at what the Bible says about abuse, and now I'm better equipped to, to understand what's there, to see how often God speaks to abuse, and how he gives us tools there to address it, I am full of hope, because this is what we are called to do. And so that's what I wanna put before you this morning. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to walk with him as a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? An answer to those questions, who is God? What is he like? And what does it mean to walk as a disciple of Jesus? If we, leave out, if we have an answer to that that leaves out responding to abuse and protecting those who are vulnerable, that answer is incomplete. And so I have been humbled on this issue. And... I did not have the tools I needed. And now in the work I do, I find that it's my great joy and privilege to help churches work on getting the tools they need, biblical tools, practical tools. We need to learn from experts. We need to learn from survivors. And how do we bring real protection and prevention into our churches? And how do we make them places that are a stronghold for those who've been abused? That language of a stronghold that we'll see in just a moment in our scripture this morning is, is conveying that God is a stronghold, a refuge, a safe place, a place of healing for those who've been harmed. And that's God's heart. So let's read our passages this morning. Psalm 9-9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. 
And then Exodus 22, 21 to 24. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Can I pray for us again? Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. Would you be with us this morning as you speak to us in your word? Father, would you cut us to the heart? Would you just give us humility before the very difficult topic and complex topic of abuse in our churches and in our Christian homes. Father, would you help us this morning to not swing into a state of despair, but would you lift us up out of our humility and put us into a stance of action, of ready, being ready to learn, being ready to do your will. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here in the passage before us in Exodus 22, God reveals his heart to us. It's not often we say that God reveals his heart to us in a commandment, in a rule, but I had a professor in seminary who said, every time you see a rule, by the way, just think this, every law that God gives is a window into his heart. That's what he cares about. And so here when you have these laws of God saying you must never oppress a sojourner, a widow, an orphan. You must give special attention to them and make sure that does not happen. It should never happen among my people. God is revealing his heart. He's saying to us very clearly, I am a God who always hears the cry of those who are oppressed those who are abused. And he's asking us and calling us, and this is, this is a, it's a command. He's calling us as his people and saying to us, this is who we are called to be. We are called to be a people who always hear the cry of those who are abused and oppressed. So often, this is difficult because much abuse is shrouded in secrecy. It's shrouded in deception. When a husband is emotionally, physically abusing his wife, that's happening behind closed doors. It's very well hidden, and it is kept secret, and the public face at church is a very well-cultivated image. It's the same in a home with child abuse. There's uh, a double life being lived, and so it's difficult, and yet that's the reality. These Types of abuses are common, actually. We'll see that in just a bit. Now, why does God bring up, here's a question for you from the text. Why does God bring up these groups of people in particular? Some of you know this answer very well. It's a pretty straightforward answer. Why does God bring up the sojourner and the widow and the orphan? Not just here, but by the way, how many times in the Bible some of you still have these books in your homes, these big concordances, don't you? Now, I grew up in that time before the internet, and um, we had those big concordances in our homes, and I don't know if some people still use those as doorstops, because we, we don't need them anymore, thankfully. We don't need to waste all that paper. But hundreds of times, God brings up the sojourner, the widow, the orphan. Why does he do that? 
it's because, wait, doesn't God want justice for everybody? Doesn't he care about each person? Amen, absolutely he does. But it's clear, those are the people he brings up because they're the people who are the most vulnerable in the society, right? The stranger in the land is disconnected from their family. They're vulnerable for all sorts of reasons. Uh, women were, were vulnerable in that society. And yet here God is saying, the most vulnerable of women, widows, you be extra careful to pay, pay attention and take care of them. Children are vulnerable. You pay extra close attention. And even the most vulnerable children, orphans, you take care of them. So hundreds and hundreds of times in every major part of the Bible, the Torah, the law, the prophets, the Psalms and the wisdom literature, the gospels, the letters, all of those passages, all of those sections of scripture, this is close to God's heart over and over and over again. God cares about the vulnerable. Beyond that though in this passage, here's what I wanna talk to you about this morning. Where does this language come from? All of this language is familiar. If we were paying attention to the story of Exodus, we would have heard this before. So here we have all of this language, sojourner. Well, let's just ask the question, who were the sojourners in the beginning of the story of Exodus? It was God's own people, right? Who were the ones being oppressed at the beginning of the Exodus story? It was God's own people, right? And then who were the ones who were crying out all of this language? God's own people were crying out. And who heard the cry and responded? God did. So all of this language is from the beginning of the story. So what is the larger point here? What is God saying to his people? What is he saying to us in this command? He's saying, never forget what I've done for you. In this redemption, in this rescue from Egypt, do not forget that you were, being, you were vulnerable, you were being oppressed, you cried out, and I heard your cry. And now you are to be a people who hear the cry of those who are abused and oppressed. Do you see the connection there? And so God is saying, never forget what I've done for you. And now that is to shape who you are to be now as my people. So the way of the world is this. If you have power over someone, you can do what you want. If you can get away with it, you take it. You can violate someone, you have an advantage, you press your advantage. That's the way the world works. That's how nations work, right? So often. And in this day and age, God says, you are to be a holy people, a different people. You are to be a people who use your power not to take, not to violate, not to exploit, but to protect, to bless, to serve. So never forget what I've done for you. And so we have the summary statement in Psalm 9. Who is God? He is a God that is a stronghold, a refuge for those who are oppressed. Do you see the connection? He says, not just I did this one time for you. I did this because this is who I am. This is my very character. And my character is to shape your character. This is who you are to be. I am a God of justice, a God who sees the vulnerable and protects them. Now, I will never forget the day when I was training in a church and I was walking through these very verses and on a break, a woman um, 
seemed to be in her 80s, came up the aisle and said, can I talk to you for a moment? And she said, I just want to thank you for training us today. I am a survivor of child sexual abuse. And then she said, I've been in church all of my life and all of these verses about God and the vulnerable and abuse, I have been in church and I have never heard my pastors talk about these before. And I just want you to know, when you started to talk about these themes and about God's heart for those who are abused and oppressed, my heart soared and I understood something different about God. And we need to, this is what we need every person in the church to know. We know there are so many survivors sitting in pews. And again, that was my own experience. We need to be humble and recognize many, many, many are waiting to hear that message that God sees your pain. He is with you. He never minimizes it. And one day he will wipe away every tear. The only hope the vulnerable have is if those who do have power and influence are willing to step in and intervene for them. Again, that is our God. That's what he did for us. And that's what he calls us to do for others. So let's think again about this hard reality. I'm gonna tell you now a story of what happened to my colleague, David. He works with me at Grace. And with his permission, I share his story with you this morning. Uh, in his own words. So just listen to David's experience. For 30 years, I kept a secret that almost killed me. From the time I was 12 until I was 15, I was sexually abused by my youth minister at an evangelical church outside of Atlanta. During those three years, the foundation of my family, the foundation my family had worked so hard to build within me was destroyed by one man, my youth minister. My heart, mind, and faith were lost. Not only was I betrayed by an individual who used his authority over me to commit the most heinous of crimes, I was also betrayed by the very institution that I felt would do the most to protect me, the church. If you are anything like me, for a while, for a while I wondered if there could even be a God. This is how it happened. The youth minister would invite two or three boys over to his house he would isolate one of us in another room. This is where the abuse took place. Or he would tell me that several boys were coming over and when I arrived, I was the only one. I was trapped. No one saw the abuse took place, take place. My family was going through a divorce. The youth pastor took advantage of my vulnerability. I was a young boy simply wanting attention from a role model. As I, I felt as if I were completely alone, I was confused. I didn't understand what was happening or what to do. I thought for so long I was the only person this crime was perpetrated against and therefore it was on me alone to deal with it. So let's talk about that most awful of feelings, being alone. And I don't mean loneliness. While in and of itself loneliness can feel horrible, it's not quite the same as feeling alone. It incorporates so much more. It's a feeling of betrayal and dismissal. It's as if the whole world is moving along happy and well, and I had been left behind, utterly abandoned. I felt isolated and different from everyone else around me. 
I saw others around me leading regular, happy lives, but I felt different and separate from everyone due to the abuse. I struggled for decades with these feelings. They twisted around me like a straitjacket of discomfort. The result was a never-ending quest for love and acceptance in all the wrong places with none of the right people. I self-medicated and self-harmed due to the abuse. I became addicted to drugs and participated in self-destructive behavior. At times I was incarcerated, I was destitute, and I nearly ended my life. Yet my abuser walks free. Because the statute of limitations has expired, I am unable to bring him to justice. He has wandered from church to church, gaining access to children, sometimes on staff and sometimes as a volunteer. To this day, he has access to little boys in the church where he attends. Sexual predators know that, like me, most survivors of abuse aren't capable of acknowledging what happened to them until we are in our 30s and 40s. Predators count on victims not saying anything. I could not speak up for myself. David's story, sadly, is not an uncommon story. And it is one where we must reckon with not just the destructiveness of abuse, but often the silence of the church in the wake of abuse. David has approached other leaders and been rebuffed many times, and many church leaders have not been willing to help him hold his abuser accountable and even protect current children in the church today. And in David's church growing up, there wasn't an acknowledgement of abuse, like in my church. There wasn't training, there wasn't preparation to do the very best we can to put in safeguards for those who are vulnerable. And yet, again, I remain very hopeful because in our Jesus, we are given the tools we need. And first of all, as we've said, this is God's own heart. And with God's own heart for those who are abused and oppressed, we can accomplish much. Jesus spoke again and again, for example, in Matthew 18 about the great dignity of children and their worth and their value. And he said, to welcome a child in my name is to welcome me. If you can put it, if you have it on the slide. Yeah, there we go. He said, to receive a child in his name is to receive me. That's an incredible statement of the value and dignity of children. And then he goes on to say, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or to stumble, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We have this dire, uh, this stern warning while we're affirming the great dignity of those who are vulnerable. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, there are those who are in the church who appear like sheep, they talk like sheep, and yet inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And that's that dynamic of a double life that abusers use uh, in many forms of abuse, not just sexual abuse. And so Jesus taught us about this. Jesus taught about abuse. He taught about abusers. He taught about these dynamics. And in Matthew 10, he said, we are to be as innocent as doves and yet also as wise as serpents. And in this context, remember, when Jesus is talking about those who act like wolves and are acting predatory like wolves, what is he talking about? He's talking about abuse. And in that context, he says, we have to learn, we have to be wise as serpents and do all we can 
and certainly not participate in that evil. So Jesus, who is our Jesus? He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. The heart of God, our God, who is a stronghold for the oppressed, appeared. And in Jesus, we see his heart in action. And he's speaking about abuse. He's confronting abuse. He called out powerful leaders who were taking widows' homes away. He called the leaders who were spiritually abusive whitewashed tombs. He wasn't afraid to speak against abuse. And to those who were wounded, to those who were hurting, to those who had been abused and exploited, Jesus met them with great compassion and kindness. And he welcomed them into his kingdom with joy. And he gave them protection. He, as the good shepherd, lays down his life for us. And in that passage in John 10, when he calls himself the good shepherd, he says, when the wolf comes, the hired hand who doesn't care for the sheep runs away, but I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is willing to pay the cost to stand up to those who abuse. So what I wanna do now is just end with some application and it's just centered around the idea of humility. So in the light of God's heart, in the light of our Jesus and his teaching on abuse, I think we have to begin. These are difficult issues. These are complex issues. There's all sorts of questions uh, that remain about abuse and how to prevent it and what are the tools we actually need. So let's just think first about humility. And so humility Let's have humility first to face the reality. I know a PCA pastor who's working hard to create a, the culture needed to protect the vulnerable. He pulled me aside one time and he said, I've served in five previous churches. In all five of those churches, there were cases of child abuse in those, in those churches where I've previously served. We had to deal with it. And so we must begin with humility to just face the reality and to acknowledge that this is common. The statistics will say that one in four women and one in six men will be sexually abused before they turn 18. One in four will be physically abused. Emotional abuse and neglect is around 10% of children grow up in homes like that. And emotional neglect, which is never being told you're loved, you're safe, you're special, that's about 15% of children grow up in homes where that's the case. So this is not a small problem in our world. And it's also not just a problem in our world in general, again, this is a problem in our Christian homes, in our Christian churches. So we have to have the humility to face that reality. If we don't do that, there's no chance of making progress. So secondly, we need the humility to learn. We need to learn, as I said, from survivors like David. We need to learn from experts who have studied these issues. And we need to learn from the scriptures because again, Jesus teaches about these dynamics and in many other passages of scripture we learn as well. We need to learn why offenders, many of them consider churches safe environments or easy targets. 
and we need to learn to adopt informed policies. And that takes work, and that takes time, and an investment. So to learn, it's gonna, it's gonna cost, but it's well worth it. And then, we need the humility to be uncomfortable. And here's, here's what I'm gonna ask of you. We're gonna have a church-wide training when I come back next time, and we're gonna give you some very specific tools that you'll need, but here's why all of you need to come to that. It's because here, here's the reality. We all have a role in keeping kids safe. We all have a role in keeping the vulnerable protected. And if we don't have the tools to do that, we can't have a safe church environment. And so we need tools that are not just for keeping kids safe here, but wherever we are with other kids. And it's a responsibility that goes beyond these four walls. So come to that training. We'll talk about what are the realities in our churches that make it so easy for abusers to get away with it. Uh, how do we prevent abuse, not just in the church, but in our homes? What are the tactics that abusers use? And what does it take to hold abusers accountable? Now again, I know that's a very, very heavy reality. And it's a dark reality. And yet, what did our Jesus say? He said, I am the light of what? I am the light of the world. <laughs> and he said, the one who follows me will not walk in darkness. So we're called to walk in his light. We are called into his kingdom. And in his kingdom, the vulnerable hear good news. That there is a God whose heart beats for them, who will hear their cries and protect them. And that is our God as well. And Jesus didn't just say, I am the light of the world. What did Jesus say about light? He said, you, plural, are the light of the world. And so our churches must learn, must humble ourselves. And there's a lot of work to be done. But again, we need to hang on to that hope. I'll just share, I am training churches on a regular basis, hearing survivors reach out to us on a regular basis consulting with pastors who are dealing with abuse in their churches on a regular basis. And there are times where I just get completely overwhelmed and discouraged. One of the things I've learned to do to be able to continue on and do self-care and sustain this work is that I go out and I like to fish. That's what I like to do. I get out in the sunshine, and here's why I get out in that sunshine, and I'm so glad we have a sunny day today. So I hope you will, again, use the next few days to process some of these things. And certainly when I come back and we do the church-wide training, there'll be time that you'll need to take to process and contemplate and wrestle with these things. But I get out in that sunshine because that's where I remember my Jesus is the light of the world. And his light, the Bible says, will never be overcome by the darkness. Amen? All right, that's good news. So that's a, that's a heavy word this morning. I acknowledge it. So we're gonna have questions after church. I hope you can stay. Some of you ask questions. But again, this is not, this is not a final word 
This is not the definitive word. This is an opening word. This is an opening discussion. And this is, again, raising an issue that we have a lot more to do and to work together on. So I'm inviting, I'm inviting you into that work, and your leaders are inviting you into that. And of course, uh, I am so pleased to be with you this morning and to be able to embark on this with you. So let me pray, close in prayer. Father, we ask for your help. Father, we need your spirit to come upon us, uh, the spirit of Jesus, the light of the world, uh, to shine his light into dark places, into our homes, into our own hearts. And Father, would you give us the humility we need, and yet not a humility that is leading us into despair, but a humility that is leading us into encouragement and action. And Father, no one can do this alone, and so we all need to work together by your grace, with your help, and we know you are a God, and your heart is the foundation of that. So thank you for showing us your heart, and we know that your heart beats for us. And so please uh, continue to be with us and help us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.